listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Now you are, but you haven't been given the news quiz yet. No, I know. I'm all relaxed because uh, I know it's your turn to start us off. And I'm going to start us off with not one quiz, actually, but two. The first is not a news quiz. The first quiz was actually prepared by a commenter on YouTube under the YouTube version of our show. You may remember last week at the end of the show, I said, hey, if you like either of us, smash the like button. And you added, and if you like both of us, smash it twice. And I may have said, yeah, great idea. And then this guy said on YouTube, Mickey, you do realize what happens if I hit the like button twice, don't you? No. The second one negates the first. The second one is, a, is an, oh, I changed oh. my mind. I don't like this. So the new okay. guidance is if you like both of us, click three times the like button or, or five or seven or nine or 11 or, or whatever, or one even, not two, not two, Mickey. Uh, but, but okay. you know, can I just say it makes a difference? It really does. The YouTube algorithm like goes into high gear. So we do encourage this. Seriously. Well, it's good because every, everything else in my world is falling apart. So if our listeners are rising, that's. Are we going to get to uh, talk about that part of your life in the regular podcast or only? My life falling apart? Yeah. I think it's a subtle theme in the regular podcast and then it all pours out okay. in the parrot room. Okay. So this will be like pregame. Okay. So the actual news quiz is complicated. Name two Serbs known as the Joker sometimes who have had a good week. And how does what one of them said in the preceding week or two offer a good segue <laughs> to discussing the Ukraine war? Well, the first one is Djokovic. Uh that's one of them. He, and he I guess he, I guess he broke the world the record for Grand Slam mate, wins by a man by a man. Yes. So, that was so in, who was the that second? That was in France. That was in France. It was the French Open. Rafa okay. Nadal could not play. He's the guy. He surpassed Nadal. He won a second serve at the center yeah. for the Denver Nuggets. Excellent. I'm not sure. And he's what, technically the center, but you you got it. Oh, so he's a big guy. <laughs> big guy. His name is. I mean, if you pronounce the J like a J, he's Jokic. And then the other one is Djokovic. Anyway, they both have been called the Joker. And so you got that? You did well. That's good. Okay, well. But what, about the, what about the... What's in no, it for me? No, okay. it all depends on the bonus question. Like, okay. what, what did one of them say in the preceding week or two that is a, a good segue to discussing the Ukraine war? Uh, it's time to settle all the family business. No, wow, that's amazing. Uh, no, he didn't, but it's still amazing. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, um, what he said was, Kosovo is the heart of Serbia, which was controversial. He got a lot of flack for getting political. And here's the segue. So what's going on? Which, which no. one said it? Djokovic. Oh. Well, they, Djokovic. Have the they have the battle of worms there, or the battle of the crows or something. They do now? or the, No, they, they did. did in like 1300. What was that? The Diet they, of Worms or something? Or no, what? no, that's the, not no. the Diet of Worms. The that Battle of something. They lost the battle there that in, in a long time ago that they still remember as if it were yesterday. Okay, so. but, but still, you're stalling. So here's the. No, here's I'm the, just, I, uh, that's uh, that's that's why useful, they claim that Kosovo is the heart of Serbia. I see. Trivia. I see. Okay. So anyway, the deal with Kosovo is that uh, it is not by many accounts, part of Serbia anymore, but there was, there was a Serbian enclave and there was tension between the, uh, the Serbs in that enclave, uh, an ethnically Serb enclave. And that was the context of his remark. Uh, NATO was, was, was actually acting on behalf of the Serbs at this point. But if you ask, why is NATO occupying Kosovo in the first place? Why are NATO troops there? That brings us to the Ukraine segue. Uh, you know, in the 1990s, Bill Clinton said, I'm going to expand NATO. Russia didn't like it. He said, don't worry. It's a defensive alliance. It's there to help foster democracy in its member states and so on. No problem. In no time at all, he had actually used it to bomb Serbia in clear violation of international law. The, the situation there was that Kosovo, there was a separatist movement in Kosovo, which has a lot of uh, ethnic Albanians. 
And uh, we decided to intervene in that on behalf of the Albanians, saying there had been atrocities committed by the Serbs in repressing the movement. I'm sure there, ha you know, there had been. Uh, there were also atrocities on the other side. I, I assume that we were right to think the Serb atrocities outnumbered the other ones. I don't know. But the point is, we didn't have uh, the sanction of the Security Council. We didn't get, couldn't get support uh, from that. So we intervened. We bombed Serbia. Um, and for that reason, it's, it's, it was not a legal intervention. Um, and uh, I thought we were also we were also pissed that they violated the so-called, I think it was the Rambouillet Accords. There's some some accord that we forced them to sign. Uh, and it was a ridiculous accord because it like gave NATO troops the right to roam Serbia at will. No nation would ever sign it. I believe but this somehow, was before any such thing had been signed. Oh, this is before that? I think it was, but anyway, but no, because I, I mean, there's certainly a pretty close to consensus among international law people. This was illegal, and uh, and this I, I, the, the segues. This really stuck in Russia's craw. And and by the way, we did things like bomb power grids in Serbia, civilian infrastructure, which now we call a war crime when Russia does it. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, we kind of pried Kosovo away from. Uh, Serbia, uh, that was part, and and then in 2008, when we we uh, in effect offered future NATO membership to Ukraine and Georgia, um, this was still a very very much a live issue because we were in the process of kind of I guess recognizing Kosovo's independence. That was driving Russia crazy, uh, and in fact, that was as much behind uh, the conflict in Georgia I, in 2008 as the as the NATO Ukraine thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought, um, uh, what was I thinking? Um, never mind. Go ahead. I'll, okay. I'll remember so what I think. Anyway, this oh. was the, one of the first of their, their grievances related to NATO expansion, you know, bothered them because it's like NATO is just deciding to, to attack someplace. It happens to be a Slavic country, an Orthodox Christian country, a country that Russia has had close ties to. So this this like deeply bothered them and and, and uh, I, uh, has stuck. I, I know what else I was going to do. This was and Clinton, the Clinton administration put out a bunch of palaver about how we're we're, we're Kosovo is going to be a model of interethnic harmony and they're all going to learn how to live together and we're going to foster democracy and and uh, and, and that was all bullshit. The the ethnic enclaves stayed the ethnic enclaves. They still hate each other. Et cetera, Clinton, et cetera. Clinton may have believed it. And I will it say was, it was very similar to the neocon uh, utopia bullshit. It was. Yeah, it was a little utopian. Uh, and uh, I will say that it NATO is now stepping in kind of on behalf of the Serbs. So they're, they're um, you know, they're, I don't know. But anyway, it, it has turned out to be uh, very kind of uh, messy. And I will also say this is maybe the closest thing to something we've done that Russia would analogize to what they did in Ukraine. You had ethnic separatists in a country, and there were real ethnic separatists in, the East, in Eastern Ukraine. Uh, we intervened uh, on their behalf in violation of international law and so on. So if, if Russia was going to point to one thing, uh, I mean, the, you know, the, this might be it. But anyway, that's the segue to the Ukraine war. That's our history lesson. Um, yeah, well, the go ahead. Well, there have been three indications that your worldview is getting way too crowded, Bob, for you to carve out a niche. It doesn't had, feel like had, that. Go ahead. We had, uh, well, we have uh, Tucker Carlson, who said the reason they're going after Trump is neocon foreign policy. And I believe he talked about the provocations that, uh, to Russia of dangling NATO membership to Ukraine. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. talks exactly the same way. In fact, Tucker Carlson and Robert Kennedy Jr. are very, very similar in this respect. Talks all about the uh, the the NATO membership and how it angered Russia. And yes, you know, Kennedy at least says Russia is a, you know, they shouldn't have invaded. It was uh, illegal. But but look at the history. And then there was a huge article in the New Yorker, which I didn't read, basically making the same point. Uh, so what? Wh how does Bob's uh, cognitive empathy differ from? Robert well, my overall Robert world view is, is the most empathetic. T Tucker's a little, uh, you know, a little wilder. 
Yeah, I mean, my overall worldview differs from Tucker's a lot. I mean, I doubt he gives a shit about international law, whereas I do think it's really a grave breach of international law that Russia invaded, even though if we had had a, a half-intelligent foreign policy for the previous two decades, it wouldn't have happened. That's um, it, basically but, what Robert Kennedy said. Yeah, uh, I mean, the other thing is Tucker's like wrong to act as if, um, you know, Trump stood stood firm against all these neocon adventures. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, Trump caved again and again and again to the foreign policy establishment. He couldn't get us out of Afghanistan. He kept us in Syria. He 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 was more belligerent in some respects uh, than a lot of people in the establishment would like. You know, he assass assassinated uh, Soleimani and so on. So that part is kind of bullshit, holding Trump up as, as any kind of a paragon of a restrainer uh, foreign policy. Um, but, uh, you know, Kennedy, he's reasonably conversant, although I heard him on a uh, podcast uh, confidently asserting that 350,000 Ukrainians have died in this war. That just seems to me impossibly high. I, I don't, I, 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 he, he, I think he, he, he tends to get his data in echo chambers. He spouts um, a lot of facts like that that with great certitude that are, are deeply suspect. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, he was also just on Joe Rogan. Oh, was uh, he? Uh, and I listened to that. The, the first three quarters of it are all about vaccines, and, and you could skip them. The last 30 minutes are basically him giving his political pitch and saying his campaign is not about vaccines. So, but you know who gave him a fundraiser recently? I think maybe last night. David Sachs? Yes. What do you know? Well, it's that, just that, the kind of question you would ask. I had heard that he got some, that he had a Silicon Valley soiree. I hadn't heard. That's almost David's as good name. as you getting Retson as the secret ingredient for search last week. I I, I, mean, that, I will long glory in that. Yes. The that, um, that was impressive. I got to say. <laughs> the, uh, this was impressive too because Sachs is a DeSantis guy. I thought. And and well, now I've he says it. now now he says you know he's Kennedy is his choice on the Democratic side. I don't know. I don't. If I were DeSantis, I wouldn't be too happy about that. Um, uh, maybe, but uh, you know, more, he more, had been on the he had been on their podcast. Kennedy had been on the All In podcast, and I've heard, you know, uh, so so it's not shocking. More, more to the point, if Casey DeSantis is not happy with it, David Sachs' chances to be Secretary of State are. Diminished. Wait, one. if who if who's not happy with it? Casey DeSantis, DeSantis's wife. Oh, who is widely considered the power behind the throne? You mean you know she's not happy about it, or you're saying if she's not no, happy? if she is unhappy about this disloyalty of she's the one. Well, she's the one you don't want to piss off. Yeah. Well, we anyway, can get, we, I, I we can get back. To, we can get back to Ukraine, but as long as we're talking about domestic politics, is have there been any big developments? I mean. Kennedy's numbers are staying high and if anything, growing, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess the big story is the big story domestically, apart from the indictment, which I forget if we talked about it, but I have things to say. Um, but uh, the big story is that Kennedy's enjoying a moment and, you know, will the momentum last? Uh, he um, He's doing okay in the polls. DeSantis is doing not so good in the polls. Uh, but... Um, there was a New Hampshire poll out today that showed the pack catching up to him, which is exactly what you don't want to happen. What's uh, the total number for the whole pack, including him? Oh, God, I forget. I think it's, but he's at 13 and his nearest competitor is at nine. So that's like who's nothing. That? Who's at nine? I think it's Christie. I'm not sure. Ooh. Christie is also I enjoying an unwarranted surge of popularity, despite the fact that his unfavorables are very high. Thank God. People don't don't particularly like him. And Kennedy's favorables are incredibly high. So um, anyway, his, he, he basically, he has a, uh, a, a um, realist or whatever, cognitive empathy, relatively um, uh, skeptical of our Ukraine adventure. Wait, who, wait, who uh, does? You mean Kennedy, Kennedy. Kennedy, okay. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, he, um, on domestic policy, he's like right out of the 60s. That was so disappointing to me because he'd gone to the border and said sort of various anti-Biden things about how the border is out of control. Completely right. But mm -hmm. then when his pitch on Joe Rogan yesterday, 
it's all like, well, I want to be a unifier. We can do good for the poor and send them money and we don't have to demonize illegals. Uh, you know, and, and that's, it was a pre, basically before the whole rethinking of liberalism that resulted in Bill Clinton, he went back to his father who had the potential to certainly put the working class uh, and the liberal elites together. And, but it, the content of it was, oh, you know, it's it's all a matter of resources. We're not giving money to the poor. We could give all this Ukraine money to the poor. And now, no, the problems with the poor, as we learned in the lessons of the 60s, are in part cultural. And you don't just solve them by throwing money at it. It's uh, very similar to a message that I think Tucker gave. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Tucker winds up endorsing Robert Kennedy. Uh, right. He's a lot closer to Robert Kennedy than he is to Trump. On domestic policy. On, 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 well, you know, they're both populists who think the elite is conspiring against everybody else. Uh, yeah. That was the whole pitch of, uh, of of Robert F. Kennedy's thing. It just, it lacked the essential ingredient. I think if you're going to unite, uh, you know, the, the the right and the left, the working class and, and enough of the suburban elites to win, it's going to be on Clinton principles, i.e. welfare reform, uh, you know, uh, control, uh, you know, I think control the border, mm -hmm. uh, do, do something about the family, pay it, pay attention to the mainstream cultural values. It's going to be on that basis rather than Kennedy basis. I'm just not sure how many voters share your fascination with the child tax credit, but I have a question. Well, welfare so, reform was a big thing. If you remember, it was the centerpiece of, of Clinton's presidential run. It was also his biggest achievement. So, yeah. I think disco was a big thing then, too, Mickey. Time's I'm not changed. pulling this issue from the fringes, Bob. Uh, well, it's the centerpiece of Reagan's it, campaign, centerpiece of Gingrich's campaign, Reagan. centerpiece of Clinton's campaign. The, the 80s. And, yeah, that's a that's a good barometer well, of Clinton, Clinton, political Clinton, moods. Clinton, uh, Clinton did something to help solve the problem, which is always the death of an issue, right? But it's coming back. Uh, okay, keep, keep talking that way. Uh, the um, so is there a chance? I mean, who who is the most likely person to take advantage on the Democratic side of what Kennedy is doing? So Kennedy's like establishing that Biden, it seems to me, is vulnerable. And who who you know who jumps in? I mean, see what what somebody could do is say, "I'm jumping in to save you from RFK, the anti-vaxer." You know, how about that? Well, they could do what RFK did to Gene McCarthy. Gene McCarthy showed the way, and then RFK jumped in. Uh, Precisely. Who will uh, that person be? Uh, uh, good question. Interestingly, Sherrod Brown, your your poster child, is in huge trouble in Ohio. There was a Selena Zito article that was uh, claimed he was in trouble because he endorsed the you know tuition the the tu Biden's tuition. Uh, you know, pause or whatever. Oh, the tax credit or whatever. The 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 amnesty or whatever. The partial the forgiveness, amnesty, yeah. because the, um, that goes mainly to relatively. I don't think I don't think the working class is is mortally offended by that. But he's he he's running in a state that's very red now. Okay, it's like it's like red, 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 yeah. and uh, and he's not red, red, red. And uh, this guy Bernie Moreno, who who is the likely Republican nominee, is. Everybody says an excellent campaigner. Even J.D. Vance has said he's an excellent campaigner. Vance has endorsed him. Everybody's lining up behind him. He's in deep trouble. He might as well run mm -hmm. for president. What the hell? Mm -hmm. You know, he's like Joe Manchin. He's going to he's going to lose anyway. He might as well go for the go for the brass ring. Um, uh, so Manchin could be one of them. Uh, Newsom would be the most obvious one. He yeah, he yeah. gave an he gave an he gave an interview with the Hannity that everybody said was very good. So, you know, somebody needs to have a talk with one of these kind of sober, responsible types in the Senate who no one would expect to jump in uh, and uh, and and just convince them, like, this is your moment. I mean, anyone can jump in and make a splash. The fact that you're who, not the type to do this to the party. Who did you have in mind? I was actually kind of thinking about Chris. What's his name in Connecticut? What is his last name? Murphy. Well, yeah. Uh, but I mean, th that's what I mean. See how how counter to type that would be playing. It's like, you'd, you'd be like, whoa, he would never do something like this. They need somebody who would never do something like this to do something like this. And, that, well, they and would, everybody would go, whoa, the race is wide open. This they, is would all do, 
they, they would all do something like this. They all no, want they to be wouldn't. president. No, they wouldn't. Not right now. Not while Ro, an incumbent has been, not bowed out. Rokata has been gunning for president all his life. Of course, he's going to do it. It is first available. He's going to do it this year? If there's an opportunity. But there won't be unless somebody does it. That's my point. I mean, there well, may Kennedy not be. Is, we, we, we premised the question on Kennedy creating the opportunity. The opportunity is no. obviously there. The other factor is, yeah. is the hot Biden summer that is coming, which is, uh, you know, the Democrats realize if they're going to get rid of Biden, they have to unleash the floodgates of scandal now. OK, they can't wait until next year in the middle. They have to get rid of Biden now. And gee, all of a sudden, all this info on Bi the so-called supposed Biden crime family is coming out. Uh, and supposedly they're, you know, in in in, in the summer, the uh, the uh, inhibitions will be off and the deep state will be cooperating with the release of anti-Biden information and with the goal of, of, kick, of you know, preventing him from running for re-election. That seems eminently doable. Because they will be that afraid of Trump becoming the president. That's the logic. That, that they'll be like Trump can beat Biden, so we got to get Biden off stage. Well, yeah, the Democrats, you know, they don't, the Democrats don't care just about beating Trump, as we've discovered. They also hate all Republicans and they want Democrats to stay in power. Well, so, right, but, but you were uh, so talking about the deep not state. Not just a Trump question. The deep state would do, is the- They would the, do it even if the, DeSantis was the nominee, but go ahead. Fine, but you were talking about the deep state. The deep state is the opposite. They don't care about parties. They don't care about Democrat or Republican. They just want uh, American foreign policy to continue to be stupid. That's their goal. And and right. and, so, and so, so they, Trump scares them in a way. In other words, if uh, Chris Christie was going to be the, pre the, the the president, they'd be fine. We don't care if Biden loses to him. Deep State doesn't care about that. They just want somebody who will reliably, uh, you know, use well, military I, force ill-advisedly. Except as as you point out, a Trump wasn't that strong against the neocons, and b the entire Republican Party is at least half against the neocons. So any Republican they get. Even DeSantis, who has a history of blobism, uh, uh, would 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 be very uh, circumscribed in what he could do in foreign policy because the people who support DeSantis aren't going to go for military adventures. So uh, I would think the blob mm, would be scared of them, that. too. I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, I will say this. I would really like to see Chris Christie and Trump on the debate stage together again. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'm uh, Chris Christie has never taken out Trump. Remember, he took out Marco Rubio. Right. Well, he's, he's very Rubio's good. He's very good. Now. He's very good on stage. Actually, yep. Rubio is, uh, has completely gone to the uh, border control side after sponsoring an amnesty. It's impressive. But, um, uh, you know, Christie is very good when Trump isn't on stage with him. Let's see how he how he is when Trump is on stage. Yes, it will be fun. See that happen, but, Wait, Chris, but wasn't, is, he, on, wasn't he on stage? Wasn't he on stage with Trump? Uh, he he was, but he took out Rubio instead. He right, did Trump's right. work for him, right? Um, the um, uh, he was what, in what a town he, hall recently where he wasn't on stage with Trump, and he did very well. He said, "You know, Trump right. is like a Trump is like a Seinfeld watching Seinfeld reruns. We we know what he's going to say. It's not quite as funny the second time around as it was the first time." I thought that was a pretty good line. But do you sh the assumption that Chris Christie cannot really get up there in the poll numbers to a point that scares Trump? I'm not sure that's a well-founded assumption. I'm not sure what the basis for that is. He didn't do great last time around. Well, that's because Trump well, was dominate. You know, well, that was this, a different Trump. This latest poll from New Hampshire would give some support to your view. He's getting a big media boost. But um, what does he stand for? What is Chris Christie's vision for America, other than Chris Christie is in charge? Uh, there isn't any. Uh, that's my problem with the guy. I mean, he he's all about you know he's like Ron DeSantis without without Ron DeSantis's uh, ideology of which there is one. So. No, he has he has values. He's in before this is one example. He's in favor of traffic problems in Fort Lee. Right, and he was in favor of amnesty. Those are two two strikes on his record. I'm not. I just don't know. I mean, do any of these? How many of these guys have actual convictions? I don't know. Uh, they can cut. They, they can manufacture. He'll have convictions I, in no time at all. Don't worry. One of the things I was struck with, uh, compare, you know, Tuck, Tucker's pitch, and I watched the first three Tucker episodes on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is a populist pitch. The elites are screwing you. 
the elites are spending money, uh, you know, on the Ukraine war that could be spent in your neighborhood. Mm. Uh, look at your roads, rural America. Your roads suck. There are Jersey barriers everywhere. He's right about that. There mm -hmm. are Jersey barriers everywhere, and nobody seems to feel any urge or imperative to take them down. So, plus, Jersey barriers are the issue. Tucker wins, but uh, it's very similar. But it's this crude money thing, and the problem the you know, problems of America aren't going to be solved until we have the 113 billion we're spending on Ukraine spent on what Tucker wants it spent. The problems are deep and cultural. And they do not involve money. They involve the family. They involve the society being pulled apart. Uh, and uh, uh, and Tucker knows that, okay? He's smart enough to know he is dumbing himself down, okay? Robert Kennedy, I think, is not smart enough to know he's, but he's, he says the same pitch with the money and it's all economistic. He's not smart enough to know that that doesn't work. I think that's the difference between. Well, in other words, he does not agree with you on certain parts of ideology. That's what you mean by not smart enough is he doesn't agree with Mickey. Correct. Okay. I just want to be clear. That would be Mickey's definition of smart. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, on. So you finally watched the first episode of Tucker. The point is Kennedy's a true believer and I don't think Tucker is. Well, yeah, I'm not sure how true a believer he is. I've always been suspicious of that on foreign, on foreign policy, well, but uh, the. Um, but, but so you, you watched the first me? episode. You finally watched the first episode of the Tucker thing. You agree it was a little unhinged? Where's the first, first three episodes, Bob? There's okay, a fourth well, one now. There's a fourth one now that I haven't seen, but there are three. You're ahead of me. You're ahead of me. But back to the first one, didn't he seem a little unhinged? I mean, we we revisited the him begging to be called an anti-Semite part last week. Uh, and uh, he, he really he was. Said, he was begging for it. I don't know. He said that Zelensky was friends with BlackRock. Is that necessarily anti-Semitic? I mean, I thought it was the part where he called him rat-like, sweaty, shifty, but he a makes persecutor of, of he Christians. Makes, makes, I think you put makes, it all together. It's only a ten-minute <laughs> show, Mickey. When you pack all that into a ten-minute show, come on. Give I guess break. He's, he's smart enough to know the resonance between all those things. I think, but so. uh, but um. Uh, you know, he makes fun of Lindsey Graham's looks, too. I mean, he's a luxus. You know, what can I say? Um, but actually, the main thing you said, the most important part was what you said before that. He's smart enough to know. No, but look, at, at least he didn't spend all his time on that. There was the part where he said, we know, we now know that the government is concealing the cadavers of space aliens. Well, it's he very interesting. I had, I had read an article that didn't mention the, that it had this whistleblower who seemed very credible, say we've uh -huh. recovered vessels of the aliens, but he didn't mention cadavers. And you would think they would, and that's because this guy, this whistleblower mentioned the cadavers in a later interview mm -hmm. uh, with, with some website. Um, and then you, uh, so, so our, our, my, uh, my follower, little, little, hey, little Mickey, uh, was right in, in, in pointing this out to us. Uh, that, so that, that, and that does detract from the guy's credibility. I mean, not only, you know, because it's it, it sort of, it's, it's inherently less uh, rational for the aliens to send uh, actual aliens as opposed to, you know, probes, right? So it's just, if yes. you believe, if you believe. Angel probes. If you right? if right, we don't expect the anal probe. So um, the uh, no, it's, it's, it'd be AI, right? It's like it would be Chat GPT. If he said they were con concealing the cadavers of GPT, that would be one thing because that it, presumably it'd be AI. We now know that when, before a civilization gets to a point where it can send spacecraft off to other solar systems, the AI is already running the show, right? So anyway, I, 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 do, do we know that? I mean, no, I'm kind of I'm half kidding, but not entirely. Anyway, the, here's a crazy here's a crazy idea. What if oh, the good. aliens, in fact, are two tier have a two tiered race system? They're the real aliens who are like super smart and big yeah. and blobby and they don't travel. But they have a race of servants who are sort of miniature right. who they put in the craft. Kind of like they're, or what still, if they're just avatars? They're just make, deep fakes of the actual still, aliens. Still makes no sense because the AI presumably would run the spaceships just as well as the actual aliens that are there. So I agree that detracts from this whistleblower's credibility and Tucker's. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, and just quickly, leave aside the cadaver part. He, he says that everything this whistleblower said, Tucker said, we now know, like for sure, he was emphatic 
And this guy, the whistleblower, doesn't even claim to have seen the ship. He doesn't claim to have seen the spacecraft. He doesn't claim to have seen the crafts. He says people he trusts told him. And now right. Tucker reads that and goes, well, then we know for sure. I've never met this guy who's saying some people told him some stuff, but whatever they told him, it must be true. Well, he's hardly the first, you know, TV, uh, you know, he's, he's not a reporter anymore. He's a, a what, a preacher or something uh, to, to say with certitude something that he's not certain about. Uh, yeah, but this is this is kind of really going out on a limb. We're talking alien cadavers here, Mickey. I, I, so what? I I think it's a trivial <laughs> sideshow. This, this is not like uh, saying Russia blew up the dam. I, I, <laughs> this I, is this is which has about an equal probability of being true, I would say. But this, this well, is we're, we'll we're, get we're to saying that. Russia blew up the dam is much more relevant to today's politics and UFOs. You, you except for this, you sent me to this crazy guy Troy, uh, who has a long series about how there's a a, an interlocking conspiracy of all these theories uh, with the, with theosophists and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, UFO people and, and, and people who believe that there's a ascended elite that knows all these things. And all these all these conspiracy conspiracies sort of all part. They all buy into the, all the conspiracies and they're all part of an interlocking web. And the result is a threat to democracy. That's the part that I don't no, get. I don't think and look, that guy is much more paranoid than any of the paranoids he's writing about. I have a repost. I have a devastating okay. repost, but why don't we save it to the paranoid? Well, no, let's, let's have the devastating repost. We're on the top. Okay, I just forwarded you an email that had been forwarded to me that had that thread. But, but uh, the, I mean, I didn't like study up on the guy, but I read his thread enough to know what was interesting to me. And he, and he wasn't, and you're overstating it. He wasn't, oh, there's a vast conspiracy. He was saying two things. I mean, the main thing to me was he's a guy who had kept track, and I think this part is reliable, of people who had been on this UFO bandwagon for a long time. Right. And they included the two people who, uh, two of the three people who wrote the original New York Times piece that brought all this stuff back to life year, several years right. ago. Now, that piece, I think, was solid because they also threw Helene Cooper uh, like a Pentagon correspondent or something on that case. So she was with, the, she was part of the byline. Right. And I think the shit was solid. And I'm not saying it wouldn't have been without her, but those, those are, I didn't realize like, like when we first heard about this whistleblower, it's like, uh, and the, and the piece about him is written by two former New York times people. Okay. Well now I, we know they've been on the UFO bandwagon for a long time, which I didn't really realize that was what was interesting to me. And that's my, that's, that was the only reason I forwarded that thread. Then the oh, guy did go on to say, no, he did go on to say it is a trope in various kinds of anti-government rhetoric. I forget if he said on the right or left or both that, you know, they're concealing shit from us and the UFO thing uh, stuff works into that well. And I think he's right about that. Tucker's a perfect example. He's a perfect example. Well, That's he, what he's appealing it, to is anti-government paranoia. If you, right. If you believe in one conspiracy, you're more likely to believe in another conspiracy. I agree. If you're an anti-vaxxer, if you're Believe in UFOs, you're more likely to believe that the vaccines are a, a, a plot by the drug companies. That I, I understand that. It's when he says, and therefore they're a grave threat to democracy. That's he, that's a, I, he I does say that. He does say that. Read the whole thread. And therefore they're a grave threat to democracy. Yeah. And it's, it's, and he, so he's he goes off the deep there. And uh, uh, what, what he doesn't say is, is this whistleblower, this current whistleblower that Tucker talked about, who seems so credible, it does talk about cadavers. Is he a theosophist who also believes in drug conspiracy? Is he part of this vast network? The theosophy thing is wild. You know who was, a, if I understand theosophy, if I'm not mixing it up with something else, it was this guy, uh, you know, the, the, the um, what is it? There's the Waldorf schools and the other kind Rudolf of Rudolf Steiner, he was anthroposophy. Yeah. He replaced theosophy with a oh, man-centered man view, which was anthroposophy, I believe. Oh, he's... But he's in the Theosophy lineage. He's a, yeah, he's a spinoff. Yeah, I think. I have yeah, some so friends, the Waldorf I have some friends schools, who are part of that. You know what the, the Waldorf schools give, like part of their philosophy is that you should give very young children the dolls they play with, like two years old, three year old, year old should not have faces. They should not have faces. Okay. They have a bunch of weird beliefs. Um, mm. But okay, anyway, well, I... It, it was a weird, it's a weird group to include in this vast conspiracy. Anyway, okay. we were talking about Tucker. Yes. He's, he's a fucking he, nut. He okay, we to, agree. Let's to, talk about you. He seems to have bought the UFO Kool-Aid. 
Yes. Oh, I don't know if he has. I don't give him that much respect. My my point is just that when I said it's not like saying the Russians blew up the dam, uh, it, it's another that doesn't convince people that you're crazy, right? This convinces people he's crazy, even though I think it's just uh, reckless opportunism or something. You know, the, 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 this guy we were talking to on Twitter that you mentioned. Uh, did say, and he was a Tucker fan. He said, "I thought he, I think he's had a psychotic break after watching the first episode." And and I don't think he has, but but I think it was it was weird enough for non crazy people to say, "Is he having a psychotic break?" You watch the whole thing; it's fucking weird. The weird Zelensky shit. What well, it is? It no, is weird. No UFO cadavers. That's fucking weird. It is. It's a lot weirder than the stuff he was writing for the Daily Caller, and it wasn't exactly that he was restrained by the editors of the Daily Caller since he owned and ran the Daily Caller. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, nobody was restraining him, and yet his pieces were very respectable and nuanced. And this is all very unsubtle and a little crazier. And you wonder if... It, I think he is being cynical about it, but uh, uh, the UFO thing, I think he actually believes. Because um, the government has been more open about UFOs than it has been before. So there, there's well, a, a... They there be is real. A, yeah. There's a trend there. Yeah. could be real. Sure. Yeah. And there's interesting, suggestive evidence. This David yeah. Fravor yeah. pilot, he's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. But um, what, what it is to me is Tucker, he's sort of been forced by getting fired to uh, carve an alternative to cable news. And his latest, uh, latest episode, which I didn't see, is all about how cable news is doomed. So presumably he is the wave of the future. And he might also decide the same thing about political parties. You know, we have these two parties. They're doomed. Time for a third alternative. I'm just saying well, there would be a actually, harmonic convergence of his entire worldview if he either supported a third party run for president or mounted one himself. Goes for the alien vote. See, that's what I mean. This is nuts. If you're, if you're, Well, it depends. If you just want to pick up 7% and cause a ruckus as an independent and swing the election, sure, go, go alien. Um, the... Uh, but uh, if you watched the video before this series of shows, the first thing he did after being fired at Fox, you go back and watch that video, that seems like he's he's paving the way for a third party run. It really does. But that's a, but, but that was when I quit paying attention. Um, so Ukraine. Um, first of all, as long as we're talking about the dam, <laughs> you know, I, I was listening to this, this Ben Rhodes, Tommy Veter, you know, progressive blob podcast and like they're just asserting with with complete confidence pretty much that russia blew up the dam and the more that the the the, the implications of it unfold the more absurd it becomes because these are like predictable implications it's like it's like when it first happened people said well wait a second couldn't this wind up depriving crimea of the very water supply that russia took over the dam in order to restore now, now that's happened. And now, uh, and you know, last week I talked about various parts of the argument that this was uh, uh, to Russia's tactical advantage uh, that made no sense whatsoever. You know, like, oh, it's going to stop a river crossing. No, no, it's, it's when you still control the floodgates that you can stop a river crossing. Now what you're doing is redrawing the shorelines in a way that renders uh, possibly obsolete uh, those of your fortifications that weren't flooded by this. And many of them were. Plus, now it's turning out that that uh, the the reservoir above the dam is getting so dry that it's opening up whole new possible lines of attack uh, by Ukraine. Not now, but people are starting to say, like, "Wow, in a few weeks they may be able to walk across this part." And it's just, you know, everything about. I mean, the whole flood disproportionately affected Russia-controlled uh, parts of Ukraine, not just Crimea. And that's a pain in the ass for them. Their soldiers are the ones that have to deal with this. They're the ones that have to help evacuate the the, the civilians and everything. It, it, they're the ones whose fortifications are getting wiped out. It just makes wait. They don't they don't control the area below the dam. They just control the dam, right? No, they control everything on the east side of the river below the right. dam, and that's okay. got hit more heavily than the west side. Oh, okay, okay, thank you. And then they control everything that was dependent on the reservoir, which includes some stuff to the west, but much more stuff to the east. But surely the big story is the, the big story is the counteroffensive, not not the dam. Uh, the dam was last week. Yeah, this but, week, but this I week guess we're, before this week we get we're to talking about how, how the, the small towns uh, 
uh, one, the name of which I forget, are, Fine. Are, are crumbling and opening up an avenue for a Russian advance. I want to get to these small towns. That's exactly okay. what I want to get to, actually. Okay. But the um, uh, but first, um, I just want to dwell on the fact that even in the wake of the Nord Stream, what should have been a debacle for all these people who said Russia did it, which no doubt includes Rhodes and Veter. I'd have to check to be sure, but I'm betting that was the side they weighed in on. Even after any reasonable person realizes that no, Russia didn't do Nord Stream, even our own government is saying it. Um, the, uh, you know, they still, they're doing the exact same thing. Like, oh, catastrophe happens. The official thing is to blame Russia. If you think about it for seven seconds, you realize it makes zero sense for Russia to do it. And yet here we are stating with confidence that Russia did it. It's, 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 it's just, I just want to reflect on this, on something that's just close to madness. Uh, when, is, did, when did our government acknowledge that uh, Russia did not blow up the pipeline? Well, they, they're the ones who first leaked. The Germans had evidence that Ukrainian divers did it. And, right. and you know, months ago, our, the U.S. government, uh, I'm pretty sure, leaked that it's looking like uh, a Ukrainian authorized mission of six people did it. Then we learned a couple of weeks ago, and this is uh, solid because the Washington Post, at least if you, if you trust them to, to, to get this much right, which I'm sure they did, uh, they say this is in the Discord documents that they have possession of that the uh, a European government, a European intelligence agency, warned the Biden administration in advance, before Nord Stream was broke, uh, blown up, that Ukraine was going to use a crew of six people to blow it up. And right. then independently, Germany investigated. Well, I don't know if it's totally independent. But anyway, that seems to mesh. And now... Uh, the latest thing is that, and I think this is from the this is from the Discord documents too. I think that uh, that it, this could be a U.S. government leak, uh, but I so it could be. A, it was in the Wall Street Journal, but we once the we got the report, Ukraine's going to blow up Nord Stream. We told Ukraine we didn't want them to blow up Nord Stream, and they did it anyway, according to to this story. Um, which raises a whole nother set of questions. But anyway, the, the, the U.S. government is definitely pushing, I think, and, and certainly not denying uh, the evidence that Ukraine did it. Um, now, where was I? You were about to get to the counteroffensive. Okay, the counteroffensive. Oh, I, one more thing. I'm not saying Ukraine blew up the dam. There's a good YouTube video by a guy who does all the whole, he's got a big audience from way back doing these, kinds of uh, how things blow up and various kinds of talk. I think you may be a civil engineer. I don't know. A pretty convincing uh, thing that uh, that that the the dam uh, just collapsed. The video is misle is titled how the why the Russians are responsible for the dam, but he just means dam blowing up, but he just means they didn't maintain it. Uh, he he got satellite pictures and uh, the day before it collapses, a whole road on top of it, a segment of road disappears. And, uh, and, and and he argues convincingly that that's a sign that the structural problems are approaching critical mass. Anyway, um, so, yeah, those towns. So, you know, I guess the segue is, you know, months ago I said I, I, I'm worried that they're doing this offensive uh, for political uh, much more than military reasons. In other words, they feel we're not going to keep supporting them and sending them the weapons they want if they don't show real progress on the ground and they're doing this. I said, I think you should rethink it. Think about using all the troops that have now been trained and the equipment you've been given to play solid defense and maybe periodically assertive defense. You probe, fine. Um, but I worry that uh, not only could this fail at great human cost, but it could it could open the way down the road for Russia to even... Uh, take Odessa, after which Ukraine would have no port. Um, I worry that, that the same thing is happening within the war, okay? And this gets us to those villages. So first of all, as people know, I mean, not many people are putting it like this, but the results of the offensive have been clearly disappointing to date. Uh, doesn't mean they won't change. I mean, Ukraine hasn't committed nearly all of the force it has, but the initial probes have gotten less far then you'd hope there have been significant losses of equipment and manpower. And uh, 
you know, the, the, the villages you're talking about are in this uh, river valley. And, and when this happened, it's like right away, there was this kind of disaster that afflicted this uh, one um, battalion where all this armor was blown up by Russia. You know, there was a single photo showing five Bradleys. This is a, part, a place that's now referred to in Russia as Bradley Square. Um, that five Bradley vehicles out of the hundred we sent them, like in a single picture, gone. And, and so that was like a, like a PR disaster for Ukraine. It was right after that that they decided to go for this series of villages. And on, on kind of mainly pro, in pro-Russia Twitter, people were saying like, you know, this, this is kind of weird. This doesn't do them any good because these villages are in a, I mean, first of all, they're very small villages. I think many of them had been abandoned. Who, uh, who went after them? Ukraine. Okay. Th- this is what Ukraine cites. This is what they can say. Hey, we've taken X, oh. Y, Z, and, and oh, A okay. in this okay. one place. A whole string of villages. This is their biggest, the thing that looks best of what they've done. And, but the people in Russia are like, they're, they're not in a great place because they have failed to take the adjacent high ground. It's like when Russia went into Bakhmut, it's a low-lying city, but they took the adjacent high ground. And so they, right. they didn't, it didn't turn into a liability. Ukraine, as of last night at least, had still not done that. And I, it looks like the, the soldiers there are, uh, are absorbing some pretty punishing strikes. And they have not advanced further in, in, in days. Um, and this is not a huge catastrophe. I just worry that, you know, with that one PR disaster right out off the bat and this NATO summit coming up where Ukraine wants to be considered for membership, that maybe they felt we got to rack up some actual villages. We can rack these up. Well, yeah, you can, but I'm, I'm, uh, anyway, the, 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 the overall thing is, you know, hasn't gone well, could, and they're no, and they're, and they're miles away from the actual defensive fortifications. Now, again, they have wisely withheld the great bulk of their forces, which you would not want to bring into play, uh, if you haven't gotten anywhere near the, the main entrenchments, but I think everyone let me let me give you. I mean, people are kind of, you know, people on the pro-Ukraine side are kind of, uh, you know, saying, "Look, these things always are tough," and and that's true. That's all true. But I, but I, I want to play something. Michael Kaufman, you know, one of the most revered uh, analysts, and he is very good. But he's, uh, you know, he's the guy I listen to the most. But he is pro-Ukraine. He's born in Ukraine, and he'll kind of try, if possible, not to egregiously violate. Ukrainian talking points, not to the point of dishonesty. He doesn't say things he doesn't believe. Uh, but I just want to uh, play this one. Um, the, the, the interviewer had asked him like, okay, so how's it going? We, we took all these Ukrainians and we trained, uh, we trained up nine brigades. Uh, and then there are three more that were trained for the war in Ukraine. And they have all this, this new equipment, this, this U.S. equipment and Western equipment. How's all that going? And uh, so here's, if you can hear this, here's what he said. At least the first week, and, and this is just you know, a, an interpretation based on pretty limited evidence. So far, it's clear that the main advantage of, of the Western systems provided is the survivability, both of the platform and the degree to which they've shown uh, to protect the crews and the men that they're carrying. Okay, so what he's saying is so far... The main advantage of sending them these, all these tanks and 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 uh, armored other armored vehicles, is that when they get blown up, the soldiers have a better chance of surviving. Okay, but we didn't send them over there so that they could get blown up, and yet the right. soldiers wouldn't die. If you want the soldiers not to die, just don't do the offensive. Okay, and but, I, and that's not. You're thinking I, he's he's putting the best face on it. He's he's working story. hard. He's, and look, you listen to the whole podcast. He gives you a reasonably frank appraisal. I'm really not trying to pick on him. I'm just saying when they when when they say, uh, you know, how are things going? He's like, let's start with the upside. It's like he's he's you know he's basically conceding that the main thing we know about these vehicles two things: they're getting blown up, and uh, and uh, the soldiers aren't faring as badly as they would if they were in, in other vehicles. In, in the larger picture, why is this a bad thing, Ukraine? I think it, it it wasn't just to appease the West, but there was also internal 
reluctance to, to go into negotiations until they try the counteroffensive. So they try the counteroffensive. They don't get very far. Putin gets a talking point uh, to take into negotiations. So he gets he has it. Uh, he can claim victory. So there'll be negotiations. And, and you know, if, if the Ukraine does well, they'll get a little more. If they do worse, they'll get a little less. Who cares? I mean, it, the important thing is that there be negotiations, and then they get this thing settled. Well, um, I think, uh, you know, first of all, it's uh, it's true that if 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 Putin, if Putin does well in fending this offensive off, uh, given the fact that these troops like trained in Europe, in NATO countries, given NATO, you know, he can make a big deal out of that. He can say we beat NATO even though uh, where he is now is well short of his professed yeah. goals. I remember, he, he he said he was annexing four provinces. He doesn't even uh, occupy all of right. any of them. So, yeah, it helped. It, I guess that's an upside. Um, but, uh, you know, you want downside? First of all, the carnage. And by the way, I, I, I want to emphasize, the main loss of armor that's documented was that first day. But I have seen more loss since. And I just am not seeing the the the, the, the much on the other side of of, of Russian vehicles uh, being destroyed. Um, but but back to your question, the uh, you know there's the carnage. Uh, there's uh, you know again to me this is kind of no win because if they do push him as back as far back as they say they want to, if they declare a big victory, if Ukraine does. They're going to say, give us more arms and we'll go further. And eventually you worry about Putin being in a box um, where he gets desperate. At least I do. Um, but but you're asking about the other thing. What's so bad about just continuing this offensive? Well, first of all, remember, the great bulk of the forces have not been committed. And at this point, it looks like Ukraine is determined to commit them one way or the other. And I, I want to say again that... Uh, you can imagine it playing out if these guys just get slaughtered, okay? And for whatever reason, Russia decides to do another mobilization. You know, all these things are very contingent. It may not neatly culminate in the kind of negotiations you're talking about. It could well lead. Putin could well say, hey, I, I've got a lot of domestic support. Uh, there's a little uh, unrest on the nationalist right because I haven't taken all of these two provinces. Let's keep it going. And he could well wind up uh, taking not only that stuff, but Odessa, which again, you well, know, so, this is, yeah, and if they hadn't, if they hadn't yeah. done the counteroffensive, then Putin would be. How how does that lead to negotiations? Putin, well, I think I think if you play if you play assertive, first of all, how do you know Putin doesn't want to negotiate now? People assert that because I they don't Bobby, want to negotiate. Bobby Kennedy said. Uh, said uh, he does. What do I know? I don't know how he knows that, but but I certainly, all of these people in the blob who say Putin doesn't want to negotiate, they're just making that up. They have no idea because nobody has said, do you want to seriously negotiate? I thought Blinken, uh, they're constantly probing and that, that nobody's in the mood to negotiate. You know what Blinken's side? idea of of offering to negotiate? I mean, who, what have what have, what has Blinken said? What do we know? You know more than I, I do. Don't know. I, I just I've seen leak, I've seen stories. The White House advisors say neither side is in the mood to negotiate right now. This the war has to play out for a little more. I don't. Well, that's I don't know because what that means. that's because they don't want to be pushed to negotiate for whatever reason. They no. want to see this offensive through. Um. Uh. So for all I know, he wants to negotiate. Uh, now, but in any event, I mean, if with all of this force arrayed, you just say, you realize we now have overwhelming defense. You are going no further without another mobilization. Do you really want to do another mobilization? You know, politically, he'd rather not. And, and you do enough kind of probing attacks so, so that they're, they are still, uh, you know, they're still hurting a little. And then you say, you have to actually say it, not just pretend you said it. You have to actually say privately, do you want to negotiate? And then you'd know, but we, uh, so far as I know, we have no way of knowing that. Um, I just think, you know, from, unless they're going to route Putin or Putin is going to take Kiev, it's going to be some sort of stalemate. And it, 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 from the United States' perspective, it doesn't matter a whole lot how much of the Donbass Putin has or doesn't have. It's just, it, 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 one gets marred in these details and, 
It's not the Donbass. Look, remember, first of all, I'm not so worried about Kiev. That's not considered. There's this concept of Nova Ruska, or however you say it in Russia, okay? And I think it comes from, I don't know where, how far back it goes, but the right-wing nationalists, at the beginning, they were saying, this is our goal. It includes Odessa. And, and if Ukraine lose Odessa, they don't have a port, okay, right. on the ocean. That's an economic problem. Right. Right. And, and it includes Kharkiv, I think, up north. So, you know, it just, you know. Putin, it, Putin made noises this week about making another stab at Kiev. Kiev so. Yeah, but, That's why uh, I brought but it up. again, I think in terms of what they actually possess, they'd rather have Odessa and Kharkiv than Kiev. Um, but, uh, I, oh, well, I mean, if he can use Kiev to, to decapitate the government and, and have a puppet regime, sure. That, that was the original plan. Um, anyway, I have, I have, um, my other question is, are they, is, is Zelensky right in worrying about American support eroding? What would that look like? Is there any chance that an anti-war candidate, I guess Robert Kennedy would be that candidate, will actually... Uh, you know, win and depose the Democrat, depose Biden. I guess it's it, like Gene McCarthy did with Lyndon Johnson, and that the Democratic Party will become anti-war. That really would uh, threaten Zelensky. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I just say, don't see it happening. Yeah, I'd I say see, never I see, under. I see. Every, you know, every avatar on, on 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 Twitter is the Ukrainian flag. Maybe that's fading a bit. But I'd say never underestimate the power of the blob. Uh, I agree. So I agree with you, but. You know, there's got to be like a five or ten percent chance that something uh, will, from Zelensky's point of view, go horribly awry in American politics, and that's all the more reason uh, not to see his forces decimated over the next three three months. And look, it could it could work. I, I I'm not saying we know that the offensive is going to fail, but you know, there was this uh, a Twitter thread or something by this guy Jack Watling, who's this military guy, highly respected by you know the mainstream. Blob people. He does seem smart, uh, but you know, he said, "Look, don't you know this is a binary thing. Success is breaching the main defensive line, and not breaching it is failure." Okay, and we haven't gotten we haven't gotten up to it yet, and we're and we're taking, I think, heavier casualties than than has been acknowledged. It, it it's it's an it is an incredible opportunity for populists who want to meld right and left that there is a war not a necessary war but a war uh that uh that both uh chunks of the republican party and the democratic party don't like uh and that it cuts across party lines and you could you know you could come out against the war and steal a chunk of the Democratic and Republican parties, put it together with all your economic populist issues and and come out with a pretty big party. Uh, that's not an opportunity that, that people who want a left-right populism or should ignore. Whatever they think about Ukraine, it's too big an opportunity. What's your evidence that there's a lot of Democrats who don't like the war? I mean, Bobby, I, 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 I... Bobby yeah, Kennedy. Bo I, 20 percent in New Hampshire. Yeah, but he's there's a lot of aspects of Bobby Kennedy. One is that he's not Joe Biden. Uh, I think that's a lot of those 20 percent. Uh, uh, you know, who knows? He's saying a lot of things. He's saying, you know, uh, he, he's doing, you know, just kind of vaguely, generally populist stuff that is inherently appealing. Um, so I don't know. I, I think you're right. We're not there yet. But you can see that you can see the beginnings uh, of of an opposition, it's not it's not like the Vietnam War where the California Democratic Party broke with Lyndon Johnson and came out against the Vietnam War, and and you know that was the that was a, a, a real sign that the floodgates were opening. You don't see that. Oh, yeah, it's nothing I like that. I mean, you know, Americans aren't dying in this war in any appreciable right. number, right. Um, and okay, and that, well, that's when Americans start actually caring about foreign policy is when Americans start yeah. dying. So. So we have a settlement that ends the war. I think they should have a settlement that ends the Trump indictment. And we have nothing to talk about. I've settled it all. Now, but speaking of Vietnam, I mean, in terms of things we can talk about in the parrot room, uh, Daniel Ellsberg died. Uh, we can talk about that. Have um, we been talking for 50 minutes? Yeah. No. Um, the, uh, Elizabeth, there's the Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, canceled her own book. Canceled her own book. Was that because she really knew it was a shitty book? 
I don't. I doubt that was it. I doubt she got cold feet about publishing. Did, uh, well, did she erase uh, all except copies? Except in the sense that she didn't want to antagonize a lot of uh, pro-Ukraine people. Did she erase all copies so that? No, no, she didn't yeah. rule out publishing in the future, but she withdrew okay. it from the publishing schedule because, I guess, um, it. Yeah, the, you know, it take, it's a novel. It takes place in in I think the past in the past, yeah, in the Soviet Union, and I suppose it depicts some Russians not unfavorably, and that's not allowed these days. That's I like mean. a brilliant move. That's like she gets two two a huge uh, you know round of publicity, and then she gets to do it later. It's like it's like Jim Croce dying and not dying. You know, I mean, wait. Everybody said Jim Croce dying was a brilliant career move because then everybody discovered uh, his music and he became a hit. This is like getting that without actually dying. Well, that, that's what, um, what's his name said about what's his name? <laughs> I'll remember by the parrot room. He called suicide, suicide is a career move was the line. Um, and he was re referring about his uh, friend, the novel and novelist and essayist, David Foster Wallace. Um, uh, that's cruel. He was a he was big before he died. He was. It was huge. But, huge before that. Look, I don't think it was a career move, but the fact is that suicide, you know, gives you uh, your your legacy a kind of mystique. And with artificial intelligence, like with, you know, John Lennon, you can actually keep on producing after you're dead. That was such a bullshit story. I'll talk about that in the pair room. What fucking bullshit? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows now they can get publicity by saying, oh, an AI was involved. Because they actually had a recording of John Lennon singing the song, and it all was the it was the fucking recording. All they did is clean it up. It was recorded <laughs> under noisy circumstances, and they got rid of the noise. Okay. I mean, they may have like enhanced a voice, but they didn't give him a totally new song to sing. I'm sorry, but you know, this is this is in the Non-Zero <laughs> newsletter today, and readers of the we should <laughs> we should do an AI generated podcast where like I could take the week off, and you can pretend that. AI has generated what I would say because I'm pretty predictable at this point. You are, but so. we should fake it, right? It should be a fake of a deep fake. I mean, it should really be us. It's a fake deep fake. Okay. If we can pull it off, we should do that. We can I, do um, that. Uh, I have uh, things we have to, have to talk about. I, I, I have a question about AI that I want to ask. Uh, uh, we um, There's this uh, impending uh, sort of uh, plan B Iran deal informal, doesn't have to go through the Senate. Yeah. Everybody freezes. I didn't understand what was in it for Iran except a bunch of money, but you can talk about There's that. A, yeah, but it's a, it's a bunch of money and they need money because the sanctions okay. have been on so long. Okay. I mean, it's um, multiple billions. That's not nothing when, you're, uh, when you've been sanctioned to death. There is a, a little bit of Epstein news. Good. Uh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong sheet here uh does that mean you i hope you're not retracting the epstein news no oh, no. oh i want to i want to say uh yeah i have something to say about that i think yeah uh well uh, i have and, uh, and relatedly about the uh the rationalist community yeah. i have more to say about this indictment of trump so i'm sorry no that's good i've i've Boned up on it, and I want to. No, unload. no, that's good. I, 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 I went so far as listening to the uh, to a podcast. I have one joke about the L.A. Country Club, which is where they're holding the United States Open, even as we speak. Yeah, and we got today and yesterday. Brooks Kepka is paired with uh, Rory McIlroy. Yeah. Doesn't get better than that if you know um, if you know the history. Oh yeah, and maybe right. I'll update us on the Lib situation. I know we have. Uh, I have. I have news about what the Saudis' next conquest is going to be, or has already been. Mm. Uh, there's. Uh, uh, I I have an objection to this popular vote compact that the left is so hot for, which where where states pledge to uh, cast their electoral votes for the winner of the popular vote, um, and they're 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 getting close to the critical mass where this actually might take effect. Um, mm -hmm. I have the um, the uh, the blob is close to the mother load of pro immigration arguments, which I will uh, outline. You had uh, me a blob, and you lost okay. immigration. But okay, sorry. Well, it's it's, it's like a 
shit sandwich for you, but Fucking sorry roller about coaster that. listening to you. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just all getting by on the, on the first few days of the post Chris Licks era at CNN. So, yeah. uh, I about I, it, that a little last week. Now, it, I'm not actually going to talk about that. That was just a joke. Okay. I, um, the Unabomber died, right? Oh, and the pardon, the pardon. Who's going to pardon Trump and why? Anyway, go ahead. Okay, Unabomber died. I want to talk about that. Uh, Ed Fredkin died, uh, whom I wrote oh, dear. About in my first book, Three Scientists and Their Gods. Yeah, he was great. He was important. He was great. He, he said the universe was a computer. He did. He, he said it before Stephen Wolfram, and it's not totally clear that Stephen Wolfram gave him all the credit he was due, but what do I know? I do know that Ed used to complain that Stephen <laughs> Even Wolfram was not giving him the credit. He's is Wolfram still alive? Oh yeah, he's super young. Uh, I mean, he was super young when Ed was. He's like three decades younger. Than well, then Ed. he wins. We'll see about that. Okay. The night is young. No, I mean the whole the whole theory of this kind of digital physics stuff. It's still a very much a minority, somewhat speculative enterprise. It's not like anybody's going to win. We don't know. Jury's out. Kind of like st string theory, but less famous. Um. So, okay, that's plenty. Uh, Daniel Elsring, we've got a lot to, oh, maybe talk slightly about the show. Uh, what's the show? Silo. <laughs> Silo. Uh, which I oh, diligently oh, oh. watched. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I diligently watched and I mostly enjoyed, but go ahead. Man, I got, we got so much. We're going to have to put some of this off for, for. What uh, else? Are you, uh, don't worry. Well, well I, uh, two, I, I, I'm. Two, Two Harvard things. Did uh, Harvard, uh, is Harvard responsible for the Unabomber going crazy? And relatedly, is the CIA responsible for going crazy? Oh, good. Um, I've been that. But then this other Harvard-related thing having to do with uh, the Inuit. Uh, is that how you pronounce what we used to call Eskimos? Is it uh, I don't know. Inuit or Inuit. And it's really interesting. And this is related to the Harvard thing, so we'll bring it up. Interesting. Uh, documentary i saw over anyway i'll get uh, let's go i'm it'll it'll all be there in the pair room. i'm worried about filling the time but you think we'll have no problem oh god no it's okay. the opposite what, how are we gonna get any sleep okay terrible um uh eventually it will end it'll be chock full of stuff eventually it'll all end but i don't um, want to end on a downer so let's say instead folks remember you're like both of us Click like 111 times. You like either of us just once. Okay? Um, okay. All right. Uh, uh, see you in the parrot room. I've cleaned the parrot, by the way. Oh, good. I was going to I gave it a bath, on. especially under the arms is a little difficult. But see you there. Oh! Okay.